you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, welcome in. Yeah, Dan Miller here, and this is the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we take 48 minutes to dive into real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day, excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Hey, this is where normal, indecision, ambiguity come to die. Welcome to 48 Days Radio Show. Our sponsor today is Fresh Books. Fresh Books, you hear me talk about them a lot. They're offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. You know, all you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Now today, I'm gonna, I've am i got one single theme today, and that is the idea of having something in addition to your current work model that you're doing to create income, freedom, pleasure, fulfillment of your passion, all those things. You know, a lot of people assume, I, I, don't, I fight this all the time. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. There's no secret about that. And a lot of people think that because of that, that I think that's where everybody ought to end up. That if you really don't have it figured out yet, you know, you'll be an employee somewhere. And then maybe move into being a consultant, you know, where you've got multiple clients that you're working with, kind of just uh, multiple jobs, or maybe a franchisee, or maybe you know, move from being an employee with an accountant to having uh, a few clients, so you create a job for yourself. Then maybe an independent contractor, freelance worker, you know, ultimately you're going to be a full-fledged entrepreneur as you work your way up to the top of the peak. Well, I don't believe that. I mean, that that's not my desire at all. There are people who are perfectly positioned at any of those things that I just mentioned. But I also know that a whole lot of you have an idea that you'd like to pursue, that you have something that you would like to develop, some idea that you'd like to put legs on and do that. I've talked a lot. One of the things that I did a few months back was describe how you can make massive progress in a business if you only invest 15 hours a week. That particular concept has probably gotten more uh, spreading that idea than anything I've come up with in the last couple of years. 15 hours a week if you divide that time in four different areas. So it's not just a matter of gathering new information and knowledge. You have to move from knowledge, understanding, and application or execution. So it's critical to do that. That's part of those 15 hours. You have to spend time actually doing the work, you know, creating a new model for what you're going to do, whether that's creating product or creating a course or developing your coaching options, whatever it is. And then the, the, the fourth area is time spent marketing. What are you going to do to actually get out and market it? But I love that model. I love knowing that there's a whole lot of people who are doing work on the side, in a way that I just described. I love seeing the people come in at 48dayseagles.com that we just started, the new membership site, because we have people who just need that first job. They need a job. They're without work. They need a job. We have people who would like a promotion or some kind of advancement in what they're doing. 
We have people who do have want to start some kind of a sideline business and people who want to expand an existing business. Now, the reason we put those all together was not just to kind of be, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. No, it's because we know that a whole lot of you already have your feet and fingers in multiple areas at the same time. So you may be fully employed. You may like the job that you have, but you are doing something on the side as well. So today we're going to devote time to just doing that alone. I've got a guest that I'm really excited about having on, Patrick McGinnis, who wrote the book 10% Entrepreneur. I'm going to, most of the podcast today is going to be my interview with Patrick. And as much as I typically only have a guest on for eight to 10 minutes, that's my max. With this, I went over because his message so perfectly aligns with such so many common questions here about doing things on the side. You're going to be blown away when you hear that um, 40% of millennials have some kind of a side gig, 40%. But here's the other piece there that really surprised me is knowing only, well, less than 10% of those really want to leave their job. It's not a matter of when they get the side gig going enough, they're then going to switch and go full-time entrepreneur. We talk about that a lot here. I mean, I say, don't burn any bridges, you know, get your idea up and running. And when you're generating 50% of your current income, then you can look at the possibility of making the change. But for some of you, you may never make the change. Patrick, the author of this book is extremely successful, has no interest in making a change to be a hundred percent entrepreneur. He wants to be a 10% entrepreneur and have a real job as well because he loves that environment. I love the, the fact that it's not an either or choice. I, I talk a lot about, you know, let's look for and both kind of solutions. And for a lot of you, it will be that where you don't have to choose between you may, you may be outgoing, gregarious, social. You would miss being part of a team, having a place to go every day where you hang out, you know, talk around the water filter and throw paper airplanes over your cubicle, you know, I mean, if that's you, then be realistic about that. Don't force yourself to leave something that has a lot of positive benefits. And there's a lot of merit, as you'll hear in my conversation with Patrick, there's a lot of merit in not burning the bridge. Now we can make a case for that. You'll hear us talk about that, you know, where you burn the bridge where you have to make it work. Well, sometimes that puts you in a position of desperation where you make poor decisions. Well, hey, let me talk about fresh books a little bit, and then we'll go right into my interview with Patrick. Well, you know how it is as an entrepreneur. I mean, one of the big things that we are all faced with is the idea of keeping the books in a way that we really understand what's going on. My gosh, all of a sudden, another month has gone by. Boom, we're finished with February 2017. Did I make money or didn't I? Well, you want to keep track of that. You know, you there's a lot of opportunities for being self-employed. But there are a whole lot of needs come into play really quickly. FreshBooks has a brand new version of their cloud accounting software that's going to help you stay on top of things. And one of the things that's a big plus for me is creating professional looking invoices. You can do that really, really clearly and quickly. I did one just yesterday, shot an invoice out. And I mean, I got an immediate response and I, I, I got paid like five minutes later. And I thought, oh my gosh, because... They don't have to write out a check and put it in the envelope and send it to you. And, you know, it gets put aside in the pile of I'll get to that eventually. No, when they see it come in and there's a button there that makes it easy just to click that and 
get paid. Wow, that is really awesome. That's just one of the things. Of course, another thing you can tell when they did see your invoice coming in. And it's not just about invoices. It's a matter of keeping track what your expenses are, what your realistic income is, and what's left over. That's called profit. You need to know what that is if you're going to stay in business. You need to track things like how much you owe the IRS. I mean, my gosh, don't get behind in that. Please, please, please don't do that. So anyway, hey, FreshBooks is offering that 30-day unrestricted free trial to 48 Days audience. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Now, this is my interview with Patrick. The book is 10% Entrepreneur, Live Your Startup Dream Without Quitting Your Day Job. Here's my interview with Patrick. Well, Patrick, it's a delight to have you on today. I've already prepped my audience about your book. I've talked about it multiple times, 10% Entrepreneur. So thanks for being our guest today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people assume that I think, being Dan Mellert, 48 Days, that there's kind of a pyramid of work models, you know, with a lowly employee at the very bottom, and then maybe a consultant if you step out a little bit, maybe a franchisee or independent contractor freelance worker, you know, then ultimately self-employed and ultimately that full-fledged entrepreneur at the top of the peak. Well, I don't believe that at all. I think there are people who are perfectly placed all along that spectrum. And I know that you believe that as well. And that's what you really clarified in your book, The 10% Entrepreneur, Live Your Startup Dream Without Quitting Your Day Job. Now, right in chapter one, you jump right in and talk about in today's economy, one job is not enough. Expand on that a little bit for us. Right. So the reason I wrote this book is uh, that I was working in my dream job, actually. I was working on Wall Street. Um, I had gone to Harvard Business School. I had a job I enjoyed. Things were going great. Everything was terrific. But then 2008 came along, the financial crisis, and my company, AIG, which you'll remember what happened there. And if you don't, Google it. was very affected. And so even though I'd done everything by the book and was doing what I thought I you know, really wanted to do, it, it was not enough. And in fact, it was a company that was a trillion dollar company, triple A rated, and my stock fell 97% in you know, a couple of days. And I realized that there is this, no matter what path you take, there is always volatility that you can't see just behind the curtain. And we see that with 2016, right? And we've seen it all over again. There, you need to really have a plan to be diversified. And so that, that was my first sort of idea with writing the book. And I just, I struggle with how to diversify. I tried all kinds of things like freelancing. And what I realized in the end was that being an entrepreneur on the side would allow me to combine all the good things within a day job, but also allow me to do all of the great things of entrepreneurship without giving up my lifestyle to do it. Oh, wow. That's such a great perspective. You know, you, you lay that out, how it's not a matter of just um, burning the bridges, so to speak. For a lot of people, that's not a great plan. But recognizing, as your book lays out so clearly, that we can do something on the side, not just to keep our foot in both camps. You know, we talk about, well, talk about that a little bit. You know, sometimes we hear about just burn the bridges. When you don't make a path of escape, you're more committed to make something happen. If you really keep a safety net there, does that impede somebody's chances for success as an entrepreneur? So uh, 
I'm a very pragmatic guy, and I I love the I love the passion of that mindset, right? And I've heard that before. I had a friend who used to say, "Spend everything you make in your bonus. That way, you have to work harder next year." <laughs> I, I just I just could never. I never had the stomach for it. But statistics show there's a great study out of the University of Wisconsin that shows that people who start companies on the side and then run them until they have proof that they're successful and then launch them rather than just jumping in full time are actually 50 percent more likely to succeed. Because when you start a venture and jump right in, you've got a limited amount of time before you run out of money or before you have to go back and find a a job again because you can't live. And when you do it on the side, you give yourself runway to figure it out does it work to figure out, you know, the changes you need to make and then you can decide to do it. So it's just it's a much more stable and sustainable approach. Wow. I, I like that. There would be those who would differ, as, as you've already alluded to, you know, that burn the bridges kind of mentality. But having a safety net can avoid desperation and ill-advised choices along the way as well. Well, in, in the book, in Chapter 6, you talk about playing to your strengths and knowing that where you have this 10% area, not 100%, it allows you to ignore some of the realities of, gee, I've got a mortgage I've got to make you know, the car payment. So I've got to have the business generate that much money. When you remove those kind of obstacles, that kind of desperate need right out of the gate, it allows you to have more freedom as you present to really choose the things that give you the most joy. Help us understand that. That's a great point. Yes. So, 10% entrepreneurs may start companies, but they also may invest in companies or be an advisor to a company where they give their time in exchange for ownership. It's really about becoming part of something and being an owner. And so as you think about how you want to do that, there's a lot of steps you take, and I go through those in the book. But one of the big steps is, you know, finding something that what I call plays to your strengths, something that's at the intersection of what you're good at, because that allows you to be more successful, but also what you love to do. Because when you're working on something outside of the day job, it's the passion that will get you to work on it and make it not feel like work. I have a guy in the book who's a corporate lawyer. He works at a big law firm in London, and he works on the weekends and a night on his side project, not because he sees it as work, but he sees it as a form of relaxation and he loves it. And so that it's really when you've never found work that really made you happy, and then you try that for the first time, you find a project that really feeds your soul, you will be shocked that it won't feel like work. And that's what we're trying to get to in that chapter is really combining what you're good at and what you love so that you can be successful, but also really love it. Oh, wow. And that takes so much pressure off the position that a lot of people put themselves into. You talk about opportunity cost. You know, we know that if somebody chooses to go back and get an MBA, as an example, there's an opportunity cost because not only are you in creating the expense of going to get that MBA, but also the loss of income. So we combine those, there's a big opportunity cost. In your model, there's really no opportunity cost in that you're not giving up a regular job. So that makes it a lot easier to come into this slowly, as you're talking about. Talk to us about that opportunity cost. Yeah, well, there's two ways to look at it. And and one way is to think about it that way. You're not giving up your day job. So you really don't have an opportunity cost, as it were. And, you know, if if you're not familiar with the term, you know, so that's the idea of like whatever you're losing to choose another path. And but at the same time, I think about it in terms of how I sat after the financial crisis. So I woke up one day, my company was bankrupt, my stock was worth zero. And I thought, I have no opportunity cost anymore. I can do whatever I want. 
and which I never, you know, I never really, I didn't want to, because it was not my plan, but it really liberated me to sit back and, and take, you know, stand in front of a whiteboard. And I did this over a period of months and years and try to figure out, you know, okay, I'm going to start from zero. I've, it's all been burnt down. So how am I going to build this in a sustainable way, in a way that it's built to last, in a way that makes me happy? And so that's what I did. And, you know, that's what I've tried to, you know, the, create the system of the 10% entrepreneur. Okay. Now, you, you had some unwelcome things happen there in your experience that uh, made a different kind of approach to the opportunity cost. But let's say that somebody is out here and they're in a job you know, and they're making $80,000. They're not going to leave that. They don't want to leave that, but they do have this itch to do something on the side. But knowing that there's no opportunity, they're not looking at a decrease in income. It really creates a, a, a wonderful opportunity where you can choose the opportunity based on things like your joy, your passion. What are some of the questions somebody can ask if they're in that wonderful spot where there's no opportunity cost, but it really is, what can I add to my plate to make my life full? Yes. What I, what I did when I was thinking about this, and as I talked to a bunch of people, I, you know, I asked them how they figured out where their passions lie. And what people can do is sit back and say, it's really simple questions like, what did I want to do when I was a kid? What did I want to be when I was growing up? What friends do I watch and say to myself, I wish I could do what they're doing? Who are people that I respect and like that I wish I could partner with? What are the things I like to do in my free time? What do I enjoy reading about? What are my hobbies? All of those things can help you unlock areas of interest. And then I also think about what are the things I do in my work that I enjoy? You know, there's some things I do that I could do all day long and never get sick of them. There's other things I do that I'm always procrastinating on. So in the... Um, in the book, I have a list, a questionnaire that gives you all of these tools, but it's really about kind of stripping away all of the, all of the artifice and trying to get down to like, what, like if you could make a day customized to what you enjoy doing, what would those things be? And oftentimes those will be work things. We don't all just want to have leisure all the time, right? We do like our work. Absolutely. I live just south of Nashville, Tennessee. So we have a whole lot of people here who are wannabe musicians. They come here with these big dreams. But there's an underlying kind of belief in a lot of people that if I really do what I most enjoy, I'm going to have to live on beans and rice. Mm -hmm. You're looking at this in terms of no opportunity cost allows somebody to go into something where there may not be a lot of immediate return. And yet you're saying, once you really find something that gives you joy, that connects your passion, it often is something that is the most productive thing you can do. Correct. Absolutely, and and it, and what it really, I think, the big paradigm shift that I that I'm trying to achieve with the with this whole concept is the idea of ownership. And let's talk about the musician. So my brother is a jazz musician here in New York City, and he's a great. Um, and he's but when you're a jazz musician, you're kind of like a freelancer. You get paid per gig, and then that's it. And what he got out of the book, in which I, I hope it works really well, and it's so far so good, is. How can he be an owner of things? How can he be an owner of a recording that is part of a TV show where he gets a check every year because it's ongoing? And so if you say you enjoy cooking, uh, you can invest in a restaurant, cook whenever you want there, but you're still part of a business. That's the big idea is to be part of something where you have an ownership stake and that you know even if you don't turn up to work that day, it goes on without you. Wow. Now, you, you just touched on something that I think is a concept that a lot of people starting out in this entrepreneurship chip space kind of miss and that is sometimes people moving from being an employee to something else 
they all they've done is create a job for themselves. So they still are just creating linear income. They work, get paid for it once, and that's it. You just went way beyond that, moving from not just being an employee to being self-employed, but now you moved over to being having a business where the implication is it's going to make money even if I'm not there. That is a tough thing for creative people to get their head around a lot of times, even for professionals. If somebody's a physician, an attorney, an accountant, people like that, they're used to being paid for their time. They're used to being paid very well, but that's a conceptual shift to look at how that may be a business and expand on that a little bit more. I love the example of your brother as a jazz musician. Yeah, what I think because I had worked as a venture capitalist where you own a little tiny piece of every transaction you invest in, when I, I had tried freelancing actually, and I thought, well, this is great. I like that flexibility and I like that autonomy. But if I take a day off or if I'm sick or if I can't work, something happens to me, that's it, game over, right? And that really frightened me. And so I thought, how can I create a portfolio of things? Maybe you invest in real estate and you have those rental checks coming in or you have the dividends. Uh, maybe you invest in, um, I invested in a play recently, which is a passion project, but I have royalties on any production that's ever done. And in fact, the writer of the play has become a friend of mine. And I put, I was, I sort of like, I love making people into 10% entrepreneurs. I got him a gig writing, um, writing uh, sort of plots for video games and he'll have royalties in those in those games so the idea is how can you become part of an annuity right and that is that i think any all of us can do that but that's for me the mindset shift that happens when you become a 10 percent entrepreneur boy that is such an important concept if people get their head around that it opens up so many possibilities and especially for those who have creative skills, who are used to just doing gigs, you know, playing one time, and even for people all the way up, as we mentioned, into professionals. Well, back in Chapter 9, Patrick, you talk about, I love this, the imposter syndrome. You know, where you show up at a party and somebody starts telling you about all their wonderful ideas and how they're going to do this someday, you know, and then they don't. And then five years later, somebody shows up with an invention. It's the next drone or hula hoop or frisbee. And they say, yep. You know, that sucker took my idea. It's yeah. not your idea. Talk about that. It's such a significant move from thinking and dreaming to taking action. Yeah. And one thing that's so interesting is I talk to lots of entrepreneurs. I'm very fortunate because entrepreneurs are people who are uplifting in general. And they sometimes you'll meet somebody and they'll say, well, I can't tell you my idea because I'm afraid you're going to steal it. And I totally appreciate that. I'm not... You know, I'm not laughing at them, but I'm thinking, if you really think I'm going to spend the next five to seven years building your business idea, you you must think uh, you know it's it's the greatest idea ever because that it's not the idea, it's the doing of the idea, right? It's that execution bit, and that isn't an overnight thing. That takes years of hard work. And so, uh, with the imposter syndrome, the experience I had as I started doing these types of things, ten percent, is I would feel a little insecure, and I would say like, well, why me? Who am I to think that I can do these things? And I realized that most people feel that way. There are very few of us that have that sense of confidence when we haven't done anything yet. But the the solution to that is that this 10% approach, it's so incremental. It's so practical. It's just a little bit to start out and to try something. And even if you fail, you've lost nothing. So that's really, you know, when people say to me sometimes, well, I can't do this. I don't have the time or I don't have the money or I'm afraid or I'm not sure how to start. 
I always think to myself, it's just a little bit. Just give it a try. Dip, dip your toe in. And if you like the water, keep going. And then maybe you'll stick your whole leg in. Wow. Yeah, that, that fits so beautifully with one of the models that comes up here at 48 Days Repeatedly. And that is, can I be successful in business if I only have 10 to 15 hours a week to invest in it? My mm-hmm. response is, yes, you can. If you divide that time in four different areas that are very, very important. But just 15% for 15 hours a week, absolutely. You can make massive progress in three to six months in a business if you have a clear plan. Well, you talk about the term FOMO, and, and, it, and it sounds like that's a term that you first wrote about, or you wrote about first, rather, back in 2004. It's become pretty popular now. Tell us what it is for those who aren't familiar with the term. Yeah, so hopefully you know what FOMO is, but you don't suffer from it. But when I, so FOMO is a, a means fear of missing out, and it is a term that's used. It's in the Oxford Dictionary now, actually. But um, I came up with it when I was a student in at Harvard in, in the business school because this was pre Facebook, so this was like the dark ages. Uh, but it was this this idea that we wanted to do everything at all times. We wanted to get be at every event. We wanted to meet every recruiter. We wanted to try to get every job. We wanted to go on every trip. We were overachievers, and it's a real overachiever syndrome. And um, there was another idea called FOBO, or fear of a better option, which is when you never commit to anything and you say, well, you know, I, I, I'll let you know later if I can make it. I, I made something better might come along. And the two of those things together – to me, we're really, um, I, you know, I grew up in a small town in Maine. Life's pretty simple. And I thought to myself, everybody's making their lives so complicated. And so I wrote an article for our paper called McGinnis's Two Foes, Social Theory at HBS. And then the article went a little bit viral and people started talking about it. And it was right around the time that Mark Zuckerberg was actually, he was across the river creating Facebook. And um, of course, Facebook has made FOMO a, a widespread phenomenon. And so it's become really, it's gone from just a sort of an overachievers uh, sort of affliction to a general affliction in our, in our population, because there are stats that show that more than 70% of millennials do make major decisions in their lives because of FOMO. And when you think about that, you have this generation of people suffering from FOMO. And so what I tell those people is, if you can be an owner of something, if you can be part of something bigger than yourself as a 10% entrepreneur, you will get over your FOMO because you will commit to something that's meaningful to you. And when you are committed to something, it's kind of like dating and settling down. Like At some point, if you find the right opportunity, you settle down and you don't look around anymore, or at least you shouldn't. So that's the, that's the idea. <laughs> you know – in in some ways, yeah, you, you say that Facebook has made FOMO, you know, so ubiquitous. Everybody's concerned about that. And everybody is trying to do so many different things. We're distracted by so many different things. You you describe doing a lot of different things. How do we counter that with the idea of doing deep work, where we go deep in one thing rather than just being on the surface with multiple things? It's a great question. So what I do and what I encourage people to do is it looks like I'm doing a lot of things. I have more than 20 projects in my 10%. So people always say to me, Patrick, how do you, how do, you do all this, right? And, uh, and I am a bit of a serial 10%er, but there are other people I know who are also doing lots of different things. The reality is you really need to choose things that fit well with your, your re- sort of resources, time and, and money and things like that. But the things that I do are so closely correlated to the rest of my life. They're correlated to the people I spend time with, to the things that I enjoy doing, to the skills that I have, that they don't 
they don't sort of feel any different. It's sort of like walking down the street and chewing gum. I can do both at the same time. Mm. It feels very integrated in my life. And I always am very careful between before I bring something on to make sure I do have space for it. Because most of the things that I've chosen to do, they have some upfront work. But once I set them and let them go, they're sort of off on their own and I can check in on them. But I'm not day-to-day necessarily managing them. That's the choice I've made. And so that works for me. And that's really a part of the process of figuring out how to do this. And like you said, um, you know, can people do things in 15 hours a week? Yes, they can as long as they have a clear plan and they, and they follow that plan. Well, and one of the things there, too, I love your point, as long as there's some kind of synergy in those things working together so that activity in one fuels activity in some of the others. So it's not a matter of constantly changing hats. That's hilarious when you say you have 20 things and you're 10%. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, most people don't have, don't have three things in their hundred percent. That's awesome. Well, do you think that, you know, it, when you, you lay this out so clearly that 10% entrepreneur, how we can give ourselves some insulation, extra enjoyment in what we're doing, extra income, all those kind of things. Do you think everybody should try that 10% of being an entrepreneur? I really do. I mean, for me, it's obviously there's the benefits I said a bit earlier about autonomy and diversification and upside, getting the upside that you could never have. But more than that, I just think I fundamentally believe that corporations need people who can think like entrepreneurs. And the only way to think like an entrepreneur is to actually do the work of an entrepreneur on the job training. And so this sets you up not just for success in your 10%, but to win in your day job as well. And I think I saw this unbelievable stat that 52% of the companies that were in the S, uh, the, the Fortune 500 in the year 2000 are no longer in existence, and so which is a shocking figure. Yeah. And, and so we need people out there who can think like entrepreneurs. We need people who can build businesses within companies. And so I believe not only for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the companies that you go to every day, that you should do this. I believe that 100% from our side of the table. But isn't that threatening to companies? Can companies really justify fostering that kind of environment? Isn't there the underlying fear that if they teach and embrace entrepreneurial skills, the person will get to a point well, they'll just go off on their own. So, Dan, right now, 40% of millennials have side gigs, and about 30% of the workforce has side gigs, according to a study by CareerBuilder. Of that total, less than 3 in 10 are looking to leave and do something else. They're doing these side gigs because they want to make money, because they want to learn things, they want to grow their network, they want to have fun, all these sorts of things. And so what I tell companies, and I talk to companies, in fact, Google had me speak at their at their offices in three uh, different countries within six months, is that great companies recognize that, yes, some people may leave, but those people are going to create businesses that actually end up being complimentary in some ways, potentially. And at the same time, if they foster entrepreneurship within their company, they can actually become part of these opportunities. And so this is the future. The train has left the station. If you want to bury your head in the sand, that is at your peril. I'm trying to convince people, and you know, I, I, I recognize that companies are afraid of this, but you know, I'm willing to fight this fight, that this is where the future is going to be and that companies can actually make this work for them. Golly, that, that's profound. When you talk about... of millennials have a side gig, but fewer than 10% really want to leave. That's an astounding kind of statistic. I think there's the underlying fear in corporate America that anybody who has a side gig is trying to build it to where it duplicates 
or exceeds their current income, and then they'll leave. That it's, that it's a, an obvious escape plan for somebody to have a side gig. People will do that, and that will happen regardless if you support it or not. That is that is creative destruction. That is the fundamental look at um, Apple was created inside of a cubicle at Hewlett Packard. These things do happen. But the vast majority of people are not looking to leave full-time. And so the question then is, well, why don't you actually recognize that this is happening and make it work for your company as a whole? Take that talent, that skill, and drive it back into the workforce to make your companies more innovative and successful. Wow. That's, uh, we need to be teaching them that. And obviously you are. But that's a profound shift in the workplace, in corporate mentality, yeah, to get them to believe that and embrace that. We see it in, you know, the younger companies like, you know, Google and Yahoo and Facebook and like that. But, boy, that's a hard philosophy to integrate into IBM and Boeing and places like that. Well, what's interesting, I'll give you two interesting data points. One on the pushback, which is absolutely, I see this all the time, and I feel like I'm sort of like an evangelist here, but I had a major corporation come to me and say they wanted to buy copies of my book for a bunch of their employees, and I was said, I'm so excited. And then they called back and said, oh, it's against our policy to do some of the things in your book. <laughs> and I said, okay, and I, was, and I said, that's fine, but I interviewed five people for my book who work at your company, and they're doing those things. Oh, and, and they said, well, we know people do these things, but we don't like to talk about it, right? And so I was like, well, that's that's kind of strange. Um, you should talk about it and find a way to make it work for you. That's A. But on yeah. on the B side of that, you know, what I have found is that um, there are a lot of companies – this is really interesting. A lot of companies actually create a 10% entrepreneurship for themselves. So companies that will – will start a new division and test, use their company as a laboratory and apply these sort of ideas at the company level can be very successful in coming up with new ideas. And so it's actually a great way to structure a business as well. And so you can actually make it work for you at many different levels. Well, it seems to be obvious in some ways that if we nurture the creativity and innovation of people that are part of our organization, it will help the organization as well. Yeah. And yet I think we've got some historical barriers there to doing that. That's brilliant. I love that. Well, you've got my curiosity up, and I'm sure a whole lot of our listeners as well. When you describe you've got 20 things and you're 10%, give us just a few of those things that you're doing and, yeah. and why they do fit together. Yes. So uh, I, I'll tell you, I, I, of the 20, about 15 are companies, um, usually startup type companies, four are real estate, and one is this play in London. So the startup companies were companies that came from people that I knew that were in the entrepreneurial circles. And I either, oftentimes I, I don't actually invest capital, I invest my time as my sweat equity, mm. because I help them to figure out their strategy or how to build a financial model or how to raise capital or how to get clients. I have a good network and so I can actually find some of the early clients or, or early investors. So that's really, it's about, I'll spend a, maybe an hour a month uh, at times, not all of them, but there are a few that I spend an hour a month with just talking through the business and trying to figure out what I can do to be helpful to them. Um, oftentimes they're in industries that I know well. And so people recognize me. Uh, for example, I had invested a lot in, in business services and technology businesses. So people came to me uh, through that. Um, in the real estate space, I know nothing about real estate. I, I don't, uh, uh, purport to know much. However, 
I have uh, seen opportunities to invest, and my best friend from college is a really smart real estate investor. So I bring those to him, and we do them together. And so I've learned with him. He's taught me. Um, and then the play came through um, my literary agent, actually. I analyzed it like a finance person, but I invested because I love the P. It's a, based on um, – there's a, bo- a book in a movie called The Last King of Scotland, which you may have heard of, and they're making it into a stage play. And I wanted to be part of that because I love the piece and because it made sense financially. But then on the side, I become friends with the writer and I've also, um, I got tickets to Hamilton from the producer. So, you know, it really paid off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's delightful. I love the way you've laid that out. Well, one thing I'll I'll mention, by the way, is, you know, just to get into, sometimes people want to know the numbers. So right now, the paper value of all my investments is above 20x. And the cash I've received back is 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 well over what I put into it. So I'm I'm money good on everything. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Well, as a fellow author, you know, I I love books and love the opportunities books have opened up for me. Uh, you're a recipient of that as well. And I looked on Amazon just before we started talking today. 93% of your reviews on Amazon are five-star Amazon reviews. Five-star, the highest rating possible. And then you've got the inevitable <laughs> one-star from a guy who says, not a life changer, not that helpful. I've read better books. Another book promising you riches, but it only riches its author. Don't, don't you love Because there's so much money in publishing. <laughs> uh, don't you love that? Well, what, what I do, and I cannot help myself, I probably should not, but I can't help myself but think, you know, what are this guy's chances for success as an entrepreneur or even as an effective employee with that kind of mentality? Yeah, you know, I I read my reviews, of course, and and uh, and I actually I love constructive criticism. So if somebody has something to say, I I, I really value, I really appreciate it. One thing I did when I wrote this book is I didn't full it, I didn't put it full of like hopes and dreams and 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 sort of airy silliness. I tried to be very specific and give a real plan, and it's very dense in terms of details, uh, which if it's a manual in many ways. And so when I read that, it's just I I think that's not true. I then click through to see what else his reviews are. And other than the exception of a couple of pairs of pants that this person seems to really like, they hate everything else. So this person <gasps> hates everything. Oh. And so and so what do I think in terms – I, I want this person to become a 10 percenter because I think it would be good for this person. But I would say when you're an entrepreneur, the easiest thing you to do is to say why something won't work to shoot down on an idea, the, the real talent and the real skill is in taking ideas and putting them out into the world and making them work. So that kind of negative attitude is not super helpful when working in entrepreneurship. Or in any other aspect of life. Yes. It just, that, I mean, you get up in the bed, you get out of the bed in the morning. <laughs> it's like, are you going to be in a good mood or a bad mood, right? Like, I hope everybody listening today decides to be in a good mood. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, it's just so obvious, and it's so transparent when somebody like that is on Amazon. You know, you check their <laughs> reviews, and they hate everything. Whoa, tells you what kind of person they are. Well, where can people find 10% Entrepreneur? 
So you can find uh, on my website, patrickmcginnis.com, M-C-G-I-N-N-I-S. Uh, you can find links to buy the book, but you can also find tons of other resources. So we have, uh, uh, you can download chapter three, which is, explains the five types of 10% entrepreneurs. And you can find all kinds of blogs where I explain how to do some stuff and video and links to all my social. So there's a lot of resources there. And you can also at patrickbeginnis.com slash build your 10, you can download the official 10% workbook that actually takes you through a lot of the exercises in the book. And that's free as well. Wow, I have not done that. I'm going to do that immediately. I okay. love that. Uh, Patrick, I, I know that sometimes when people come to your site or mine and others and, gee, they have to put in their information to get part of, be, become part of our list, they're, they're fearful that we're just going to slam them. I really encourage people to go to your site. I've been there. I love the free resources. They can find out what kind of entrepreneur they are. There's five different kinds that you've got laid out. And, yeah, I'll read the first chapter, but I'm confident they read the first chapter it's gonna hook them you know when 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 it comes to books i mean we're not talking about a thousand dollar course you've got here we're talking about a book that in paperback i'm not even sure how much it is you were kind enough to send me a copy but here's the well here's the um this is the hardcover so it's i think it's 28 but you know amazon they it's like half off so it's really inexpensive you can also (laughs) download it on audible.com it's an ebook and then if you have friends overseas it's translated into a bunch of languages so send it to your family and friends in in asia and in in latin america i saw that translated into eight languages Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's that really speaks highly of what the content is. Well, Patrick, I appreciate you carving out the time. I love, love, love the conversation with you because it coattails so beautifully with principles that we lay out here. But thank you for sharing so freely. Uh, my audience is certainly better as a result of hearing your input today. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. I wish you the best of luck. And please, uh, everybody who's listening, you, you can actually reach out to me on email at my site. So if you want to talk more, I, uh, I love hearing from readers, and uh, I want to hear what you're going to do to build your 10%. Uh, awesome. Thank you, Patrick. Well, there you have it. That was one of the most delightful conversations I've had in a long time because his material just resonates so well. And I love the fact that somebody took the idea of not being a full-time entrepreneur, but how you can do it on the side, keep that as a model, and still be super successful. I was blown away understanding that Patrick has 20 different things that he's doing in his 10% side. And he still is very happy being part of a team, being employed full time. Well, in mind, we've got a lot of things going on here to help you develop what those 10% are going to be. The next event we've got coming up here at the sanctuary is innovate May 11th and 12th. So just a couple months away. Now the people are grabbing those seats, but that's a place where we're going to, help you take your sideline hustle, perhaps your creative ideas and turn it into something. It may not become your full-time income, your full-time use of your time. But if it's something that adds joy to your life, it's an expression of your passion and it adds another $10,000 this year to your income, you know, would that be worth it? And of course, that's kind of the model that we look for. If you come to one of our events, now that event is much less expensive than most of ours. Um, it's, you can check it out, go to innovate, go to 48 days.com, check on live events. And you can see there that it's our less, least expensive event that we have ever here because we want to encourage starting entrepreneurs. So check that out. Coach with excellence coming up May 25th and 26th. And then again, August 31st through September 1st. 
I will be at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego, March 22nd through the 24th. And hey, just a reminder as well, things are happening over at 48dayseagles.com. Uh, the clock is ticking as you're listening to this. We're right on top of, of being at the end of the $24 introductory price for that. But uh, I'd be delighted to have you come and join us there. 48 Days Eagles. Hope you're having a great week. Hope you're into the beginning of a wonderful, wonderful year. You know, I'm always excited at the beginning of the year. Of course, my excitement continues through the year. I just like living. I like the opportunities. I like the work that I'm doing. So I love my life. I hope you do yours as well. Thanks for being part of this group of growing people where we're sharing ideas, linking arms, helping each other, freely sharing ideas and resources, and in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Take it